Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 512. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so thrilled that you are here to join us today, and I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Arlene Gale. Arlene is the CEO of Book Writing Business, and I just want to tell you that we just had a fabulous... Arlene, how many times can I say just in one sentence? I mean, I think I would be kicked from the book writing business if I try to do that in my writing. But That's Ar- right. Arlene is the CEO of Book writing business. And in our pre-chat, we already covered the fact because Arlene did her homework and she has heard the story of my husband coming out of the shower and (laughs) showing up in the room while I was on a mastermind call on video. The kids aren't home, the cats and dogs are contained, but I know we're going to have a lot of fun on this chat and I look forward to hearing your feedback. But Arlene, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. Well, thank you, Kim, for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and I'm very excited about what's going to unfold here. Oh, my gosh, me too, because we have no idea where it's going to go. I'm in your hands. (laughs) I would love if you would share the listeners a little bit about your journey and how you came to be the CEO of Book Writing Business. Well, I've been combining writing and marketing skills for 30 years, and I've written hundreds of books and thousands of magazine articles. I've done radio and television programming and advertising, and I've been writing basically since I was eight years old. I used to keep journals every day, writing fiction and nonfiction. I didn't realize at the time that this would be my career, but I'm really glad because That writing, when I started at eight years old, really allowed me to process things that were happening in my own life. So I got to tell stories about how I was feeling and process those. And then when things got too tough, you know, I had a six foot long shelf full of stuffed animals of all different sizes and shapes and, you know, vegetarians and herbivores and omnivores and carnivores. And, you know, sometimes those personalities just didn't get along very well. So I got to write stories about them and their attitudes. And it was a lot of fun. And I look back at those journals and it was so powerful for me to have that outlook. And then after about 25 years of writing books for other people and making them millions of dollars, I realized, you know, I've wanted to write my own book and I haven't done it. And, you know, for the same reasons that I hear lots of people say they haven't written their book these days. So I finally sat down and wrote my first book, which was Face Forward, Move Forward. And the subtitle is the journey to discard a painful past and determine a new legacy of peace and possibilities because it was, I just decided that, you know, I don't want to be quiet about abuse anymore. And a child growing up in a multiple generational legacy of alcoholic abuse and abuse of alcoholism, and then religion and culture used as a weapon on the other side of the family, that's the first part of the book. And the turning point is, well, so I'm 18 and I'm alone. I've been thrown out. I've got no money. I've been beaten for the last time. Well, now what? (laughs) You know, what am I going to do from here? So the face forward is literally part of, I would literally rather be dead than live this legacy anymore, but I really don't want to die. I I believe that I've got something to offer. So the face forward is the second half of the book, which is tools that I use to 
learn how to live a life 180 degrees different than anything I'd ever seen modeled, which is has to do with, you know, drama killers. You know, people say dream big as if that's all you have to do to make life happen. Well, for me, I learned that it's not just the dreams. It's the action plan that make dreams reality. It's about overcoming negative self-talk all sorts of different tools that I use to help break that legacy I grew up with and create a life that brought me where I am today with two wonderful boys and a man I've been married to happily for 35 years, living out in the country with chickens and donkeys who are also safely outside so you won't hear any (laughs) clucking or, you know, but after I did that and that book became a a big success, it was an international award winner, a number one bestseller and new release and I started getting approached by other people saying, hey, can you help me write my book? And so I did. And that's when I decided, okay, so I'm going to go into the business of writing books. So the book writing business was born. And that's what I've been doing for the last three plus years is just helping people write their story, whether it's personal or professional story. And how do they take that story and make it powerful and profitable? So the people I work with have a story to tell that they want to grow a business, whether it's a speaking business or to fund a nonprofit or to coach, business coaching, life coaching, workshops, whatever. So that's kind of what I do for my clients. And I love it. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about the written word and helping people process their thoughts and putting them in writing. Okay, so I was thinking when you first started saying that that you've gone into this business, I was thinking that it went full circle. But are you actually, for lack of a better expression, but gently kicking their butt to get their books written? Or are you a ghostwriter writing for them or a little bit of both? Yes, and yes, and yes. So I provide services either one-on-one or I do small group workshops. Mm -hmm. And people are always surprised because when I say workshops, I mean work. I'm not going to have you come and spend money to hear me lecture. Oh, I love that. I make sure that when they come to my workshops, they leave with something tangible and they've got goals. So my process helps them write their book, not me, not them write my book. But I want to know what they want and how to plan it out and outline it so that it's bite-sized little pieces. So not only do people start a book, but they start and finish. Oh and um, I, You just inspired yes. me, Arlene. I know because I hear that you've got chronic idea disorder and I help people with that issue. Well, I want to write the book on chronic idea disorder. I've been talking about it for the last two years. But because I, I know, have chronic but... idea disorder, the darn book hasn't gotten written. But the reason you inspired me was because... Well, we we just met at the New Media Summit, but at the last New Media Summit in April, I was joking with Kelly Polker, who's absolutely amazing, about the fact that I want to do chronic idea disorder clinics, where people come in with that topic that they want to work on, and we get it done. But I love how you just said it's a workshop, because maybe, I mean, I love the word, I thought it was funny how I called it clinic, because... I have a little off color sense of humor sometimes, but you know, we could have a clinic on building your online course. You come in with all your content and we are going to build your course over the course of a weekend. And when you leave, it's done. Go launch it. Exactly. Because that's my biggest complaint when I go to a workshop is, you know, I get all excited and then maybe it's two or three day and that night I can't sleep because I got all these ideas and I sit down and I write and I type and I produce and I put down questions and blah. And then as I go home, I realize 
I don't know what the next steps are. I don't know how to take this great idea and make it happen to make to breathe life into it. Yep. And so that's what I want to make sure that my clients leave with, that they know how to breathe life into that project. And, you know, the people I work with, are on opposite, it can be on any any range of the spectrum in business. Either they're brand new, so they don't have any branding or don't have any content, or even a they have a basic concept. And so, by helping them create that foundational marketing plan of how they want to use the book, why they want to use the book, where do they want this book to take them, we can create that book and then back out the branding from there. But then, on the mm-hmm. other hand, I have brilliant people like you who have chronic idea disorder, and they've got great content and lots of it and they don't know where to start or how to stay focused and sometimes I say okay so let's what do you think about starting with this one well they don't want to leave these other children behind and I have to convince them it's okay it's not forever and always it's just we're going to do this first and then this second and this third and sometimes I'll work with somebody on a VIP day we'll get together for eight or nine hours and we'll outline the whole first book and then we'll put together those skeletal outlines for the second and the third and the fourth so that they feel good knowing that these treasures are not being buried that they've got they've got some format to them now and they're they can be visualized and they know that okay, well, we're just going to start here first. That gives a lot of people the confidence to just take that deep breath and start here first. Arlene, you are episode 512. I just need to throw that out there because it leads into what I'm about to say. I think one of the reasons why I've been so scared about actually writing is because I've heard of so many authors who have taken years to write their book. And I'm one who likes immediate gratification. You know. Well, and I think that when – and I hear that story all the time. So that's one story. The other one is, you know, they wrote a book and they spent all the time and money and heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears and whatever else they put into it. And they publish it and nobody buys it. And both of those things have to do, in my opinion and based on my success – is that it's because they don't have a clear foundational marketing plan in mind. And again, it's when I work with a client to create a clear marketing foundational plan, it's about, it's, there's three components. It's about you, it's about your target market, and it's about your competition. So just a brief, you know, 30,000 foot overview. The about you is why are you writing the book? How do you want to use it? How are you going to leverage it? The client base, it's about, you know, we all know that, yeah, yeah, I hear this all the time. Arlene, we know age, gender, socioeconomics, geographic location, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's not just about that. It's about what is their emotional connection to the topic? What are their pain points and how are you a solution to that? And also, where do you find your target market? Because if you can't even identify where your peeps hang out, how on earth are you going to write a book that you're going to be able to approach them with and say, hey, look at this. This is perfect for you. So that foundational marketing plan, I think, is key to getting a good outline together and setting good goals and creating good bite-sized pieces so that you can see and feel progress and give yourself a timeline instead of starting and stopping and starting and stopping. Because I think that starting and stopping that takes years is because there's no clear plan. No, you just pegged me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, girl, we need to work together. (laughs) So... What are some of the other excuses that you hear? Oh, actually, before you answer that, I want to talk briefly about self-publishing versus 
getting signed with a publisher. Because I think a lot of authors often think that if they get signed with a publisher, then the marketing is all going to be taken care of. Can you address that? Oh, yeah. You just, you opened a buffet of issues there. Mm -hmm. So... So first of all, there's a myth that there's only traditional publishing versus self-publishing. And traditional publishing are the big publishers like Random House, Penguin, Harlequin, you know, those big publishers that, you know, people, you know, lust over. I don't know where that word came from, but it just did. So anyway, (laughs) but and then self-publishing is the other end of the spectrum. And it means you do everything yourself. You find the cover artist, you find the editors, you find the interior layout and designers, you buy the ISBN numbers, you upload everything, you manage everything. and th- But there's a whole lot of stuff in between. For example, university presses, they don't get talked about a lot. But if you have a topic that, let's say, for example, you have an, a, a topic that might be of importance at a university that teaches women's studies or has therapists or s- social workers why not shop to one of these university presses? Because you know what? If your book gets picked up as mandatory reading at a college-level program, wow, you've got a built-in audience. That's amazing. So that often gets overlooked. The other thing that often gets overlooked is the hybrid publishing. And hybrid publishing, you know, there are lots of great, like anything else, there's lots of great ones out there, but there's also lots of snake oil salesmen. So you have to be very, very careful when you look for a hybrid publisher. But basically, a hybrid publisher is between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And the value in working with a hybrid publisher is they have cover artists and editors and layout and designers. They'll arrange you know, all of the issues and answer everything that needs to be done to get your book live and purchasable. And hybrid publishers work in a variety of ways. You know, let's say, for example, it costs you $6,000 to publish a book. You might get a a hybrid publisher that will charge you a 15% markup, and they'll do everything for you. And they'll charge you that $6,000, but what happens is you keep all of your royalties. You manage all of that. You're just paying them to be a project manager to get your book done. And the value in that is if I go to a cover artist – I'm a one-and-done client for them. If I go to a hybrid publisher that has a a bunch of artists in mind, they're going to know who's best at doing the type of cover I need done. But also, if that cover artist gives that hybrid publisher any trouble, that's not going to be good for them because they're cutting off their nose to spite their face because that hybrid publisher probably feeds them a lot of work. So you've got a lot of, of wiggle room there with the hybrid publisher. You also have hybrid publishers that will charge if it's $6,000 to publish your book. And I'm just using this as an example number because I'm not good at math. And they may charge you 50%. So you pay 3000 they pay 3000 and then you split the royalties 50-50. So there's a lot of different formulas and ways to get published with a hybrid publisher. But a lot of it just depends on what marketplace you're in. And that's why knowing the competition is really important. And how are you different? How are you better? Or how do you take an existing concept and take it one or two steps further so that you can really attract that marketplace? So publishing, um, the good news is, is a lot more people can publish. The bad news is a lot more people can publish. So there's, there's, I feel like every, every week, I can't see every day because my Facebook network is not that big, but I feel like every week one of my Facebook connections is releasing their book. And I've worked with a client who did hire a publisher. They paid a hefty fee 
And then there was no marketing. So actually, that's why I was hired, was to help with the marketing of the book. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the big fallacies. I don't care what publisher you go with. If you go with the traditional publisher, and especially if you're a first-time author, I don't care how many social media connections you have. You have to prove yourself. You have to market that book. You have to sell that book. Or you pay them extra to do that. That is a fee service that you're paying for. And the same thing if you're working with a hybrid publisher, you need to find out what kind of marketing is included in that agreement because you'll find that it takes unique skills to publish a book. It takes unique skills to write a book or to writing coach a book or to ghostwrite, but it takes unique skills to market it. And I know, I don't know if you get this sometimes, Kim, but it just makes my eyes roll into the back of my head and want to stay there when people say, oh, anybody can market. That's not true. It's not true at all. And I might be touching on a touchy topic here, but what drives (laughs) me crazy is people who say, oh, I just made the Amazon bestseller list. But then you look a little bit deeper and anybody can do this. You can go into Amazon and see what categories they listed their book in. And well, yeah, they're obscure categories that maybe they they shouldn't have even been in because it's not relevant for their book, but they just became the number one seller in that category. So they can call themselves an Amazon bestseller. Well, and I hear people, it is one of my pet peeves too, and it's probably a whole other thing we could talk about. But, you know, people who talk about being a bestseller, and I always ask them, great, how many books did you sell to make the bestseller list? And either they don't know, which I think is sad, or they do know and they're not telling the whole truth. But the other part of that is I can tell you I'm a number one bestseller. My first book hit number one bestseller in four different genre categories. And it was a number one new best release. So just because you're a bestseller, how do you quantify that? How is that measured? Does that mean you got ranked at all? Does that mean you were top 100, top 10? And, and you know, that terminology has gotten very squishy <laughs> lately and to me holds very little credibility. Yeah. I mean, the last time I looked, every category had a subcategory and sometimes those subcategories went 10 deep. So yes. you could find a category that was specifically about how to breed Chihuahua Shih Tzus. And, <laughs> you know, and if you put your, if you release a book into that buried subcategory, it probably wouldn't be very hard to make the top five sellers if you just found that niche for that right. for that week. And then all of a sudden, wow, you have that. Yeah. I, well, and it's, I think it. You know, at least for me, you know, my current book, my eighth book is my business brand book, the book Business Blueprint, and it's in business consulting. And I was told, don't put it there. There's too much competition. There's too many big names. And as a quote unquote unknown, you'll never get, you'll never sell any books. And, you know, I like a good challenge. (laughs) So do I. It drives my husband crazy. Yeah. And my, and this book went to number one. Best new release and number one bestseller because I know how to do that sort of campaign. And it's only impossible if you decide it's impossible. And if you've never tried it, then it's always going to be impossible. (laughs) Arlene, I do want to get back to the book writing part, but I have one more question about marketing before we do. Okay. I do marketing. So, of course, that's where my questions are going to be. The old school book tours where you drive around the country and you go to book signings at bookstores or other locations versus, I mean, you're on a podcast right now, podcast tours Mm -hmm. for your book. Are you seeing trends that like in-person book tours are slowing down at all or are they still popular? 
I think it depends. And I, you know, I actually teach a workshop on uh, marketing 101, marketing outside the box. And the box refers to the computer and teach strategies on how to create opportunities for face-to-face connections. And some of it's going into your own community. Some of it's going to workshops, finding events where, again, where do your people hang out? And going to those events and selling your book, becoming a speaker or offering a workshop. So I think that there's wisdom in doing, you know, doing it both. People love to meet authors, and I I find people who love to meet the author and love to get an autographed copy of the book just because they can say, oh, I met this person. And so that's a lot of fun. And then I teach strategies on how to get two or three or four people together to go out and create events. So it's fun, and there are people out there that still enjoy meeting authors and buying their books. And so I would certainly encourage people to do both. Make sure there's a balance. Wow. I have to tell you, one of the best business books, in my opinion, that I've read was by Clay Mattel, the former owner of I Am's Pet Food. Oh, really? Um, I'm in Dayton. I'm outside of Dayton, Ohio. And for the longest time, I Am's was based right here in Dayton. And they actually hmm. sold to Procter & Gamble about a decade ago for like right. billions of dollars. And in turn, Clay ended up using the profits not only giving back to his employees because they had been displaced if they weren't willing to Cincinnati's only an hour away, but if they weren't willing to pick up their family and move, then they were basically out of a job. So he actually gave part of the profits back to the employees. And then he built an entrepreneurial center right here in Dayton, which even though I've been living here for 14 years, I have yet to visit, but you just inspired (laughs) me because those would be like, I could go to Aileron, which is Dayton was the home of the Wright brothers. Right. So we have Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, mm-hmm. but it's called Aileron because I think that's the, it's a part of an airplane. It's part gonna, of the airplane, yes. Yep. So Helps I could go steer there. an airplane. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so uneducated. My kids have been to the Air Force Museum like 18 times and I've never been once, okay? I think I need to take more time for my kids. But well, I'm, mar- I'm married to a, an aerospace engineer and I'm raising little baby nerds and I have a private pilot's license. You so, oh, you do? Yeah. You know, I drank that aerospace Kool-Aid and yeah, I love it. So yes, so I'm, I'm familiar with your neighborhood. Yes, girl, you need to go. We have it's a fabulous we, place. Listeners, I need you to, to know that we didn't discuss that at all in our chat. I had no idea. That is so, is it is serendipitous, the right word there? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, and you know, and, and just so you don't feel bad, you know, I went to high school in San Antonio, Texas. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of San Antonio, Texas? Actually, the Riverwalk. Okay, the Riverwalk. Okay, and the Alamo. So I spent six years of my growing up years in San Antonio and never went to either one of those places. When I went to college and people found out I was from San Antonio, they wanted to go. So it wasn't until I brought back my roommate and some of my college friends that I went to the Alamo for the first time. So, you know, it's always that philosophy tomorrow, 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 and then tomorrow doesn't come. And I, and I hear that a lot about book writing too. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. You know, and I can't tell you how many just this year people I know who have died with that book going with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so don't wait for tomorrow to go see that museum or write that book or do whatever it is that's on your, your quote bucket list, you know, make plans and make it happen. Well, I shared with you just before I'm sort of laughing because you asked what I thought of San Antonio. I'm driving to New York tomorrow. And oh, wow. But with that said, what do you think of when you think of New York? There's a follow-up. 
point to this? Oh, Statue of Liberty, um, Times Square. Exactly. 42nd Street. Yeah. But I'm going to Western New York, which is seven hours away from Manhattan. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So when I would tell people when I went to college, I went to the college in Chicago that I was from New York. They're like, oh, did, did you go to Manhattan every weekend? No, <laughs> no, not at all. But I'm driving to New York tomorrow. It's an eight hour trip. And now you've got me wondering what app I can download from my phone to start. Well, I actually, I already know the answer. I have an iPhone. I have notes. I can start speaking my book into the phone. But I had. Oh, there's lots of tips and tricks that I can teach you about being able to maximize that time. Because time is the thing that most people complain about. I don't have time. And sometimes, well, I'll tell you a quick story. There was a client that didn't have time to write her book. So I give a questionnaire, you know, where do you spend your time? What are the top five places you spend your time? And what are your top five priorities? And she knew her priorities very clearly, but then she couldn't figure out where all her time was going. So I said, You know, you'd ask me if I kick people's butts. Well, you know, I gently do that, but because they paid for this kind of abuse. I'm just saying, girl, they want me to hold them accountable. So I'm going to do it. Yeah, tough love, because when they're holding that book, they're not going to remember the tough stuff. They're just going to remember the love part. But anyway, so I gave her a few pages that have time broken down in every 30 minutes for 24 hours a day and I wanted her to write down everything she did and she did this for five or six seven days I forget and then I called her and we went through her calendar well she lives out in the country she's about 40 45 minute drive away from the grocery store but that and that and she has three children that were from elementary school to middle school she was going to the grocery store every single day for one or two or three items now you got the part that she lives 40 minutes away so that's about an hour and a half drive time to go and do five or ten minutes worth of grocery shopping that's gonna that's that's already driving me donkey bonkers yeah so she and she didn't she never saw this because she was so close to it Mm. so we came up with a plan she sat down and told her family every thursday morning after i drop the kids off at school i'm gonna go grocery shopping if it's on the list before i leave to take the kids to school i will be glad to get it on thursday if you wait till thursday afternoon you either got to get it yourself or you gotta it'll wait till the next thursday well her family was not very happy with that but she did this for three or four weeks and realized it was a huge success for everybody involved because it forced the kids and the hubby to be a little bit more accountable and think in advance for what they needed and what they wanted there was less panic there was less stress in the household and she also found she could sit down and write for 30 40 minutes every day or four days a week or five days a week you know so we all have the same 24 7 it's just a matter of how we use it and how we set our priorities and if writing a book is a priority what are the top five things on your list right now and what can go to number six for now, not forever and for always, but just for this period of time so that you can write your book. You've got me thinking about so many things off of that story. <laughs> Number one, I'm wishing that we live 45 minutes away from the, the grocery. As it turns out, we live five and the daycare is right across from the grocery store. So my husband does daycare drop off and pick up. And every day he spends about $50 more than he should at the grocery. That adds up. Yeah. But that's not at all yeah, related to, to my be- book writing. Yeah. But um, yeah, you've got me... I have an issue with hard stops. I have only in the just, yeah, only in the past two weeks have started vocalizing my hard stops to people. I have to get off the line at this time because I have to do something else or I have another call. And 
just putting that in place has freed up the half hours here and there during the day. And I know that that's not effective time blocking. Like ideally, I would be giving myself two to three hours. But Arlene, I've had, since I came back from New Media Summit, what, three weeks ago now? I've had Mm -hmm. a time slot in my Google Calendar for every single day. It's admittedly in the evening, which is not my peak productivity time, but it's when my clients Mm -hmm. are asleep and will leave me alone to (laughs) work on my book. But every Mm -hmm. single night, I let something else take up that slot. So I feel Tony Robbins talking to me, like even though I've never talked to him. What is it going to cost you, Kim, to not do it? And there's so many things, but why am I just not doing it? Well, because it's not a priority yet. I know. It's not a priority. And until you make it a priority, and again, that means you sit down, it's not a priority with you yet, and it's not clear to you yet. And and I own that. That's my judgment, you know, but when those things, when the clarity comes and the organization comes, then it will become a priority. And that's what I teach people because potentially, you know, and again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but just, you know, looking at my clients who have very, uh, I'm sorry, Kim, you're normal. You're normal. People say these things all the time. You know, I know, darn a luck. Yeah, normal, so overrated. But yeah, you're normal. But when the clarity gets developed, And the organization gets developed, and then we have some little bite-sized goals that we can achieve, then the rest kind of falls in place. And there's a lot of myths around writing books. For example, I have to write this book from start to finish. No, you don't. If you have an outline and a plan, let's say, for example, you want to do research. And you know what the chapter content's going to be, and you love research. Well, you sit down and you do the research for each one of those chapters first. Let's say you want to use case studies, and you love writing about your case studies and your clients and the people you work with. Well, you go through the outline, and you write all the case studies. And then it becomes like you're just connecting the dots. Again, you see how it's, it's a strategy of step-by-step bite-sized pieces with a clear organization and clarity to begin with, just clarity of why you're writing this book and who are you writing it for. Okay, so this might make me normal as well, but I'm a creative type. (laughs) I have chronic idea disorder. Yes. Very little in my life is actually linear. I have to tell you that the outline itself, because you are not the first person that has told me you need to develop your outline. That's what's holding me back. So I've actually started writing the book without an outline and I'm about 10,000 words and I know I know quality over quantity it doesn't matter how many words but I don't have an outline and I feel like I'm doing something wrong I don't have an outline well and with the outline you know the outline can be you know chapter by chapter titles with a structure for each chapter you know and that would drive you bonkers and that would probably stress you out to the point you couldn't write either yes you know there's also a 10 or 20,000 or 30,000 foot overview of an outline so an outline could be you say your book is on chronic idea disorder so so are you wanting to write about the ideas that you have or are you wanting to write about what to do with the disorder it's chronic idea disorder the entrepreneur's guide to conquering idea overwhelm So suggestions on how, and okay, I I need to pause for a quick second. No, I'm not putting in a sponsor place here. But somebody actually told me that I could not write the book because I have not yet conquered it myself. Okay, so you know what, that's one of the another one of those myths that 
you know, people know the differences or, yeah, the differences between fiction and nonfiction writing, and I specialize in nonfiction. But would you read a fiction book where the character was perfect, that the character was infallible, that the character, everything the character did was perfect, and they had nothing else to learn because they knew it all? Or do you prefer to read a character who has got this, quote, superpower or this expertise, and they've got a problem to solve? I mean, really, the hero's journey is not about the perfect hero. It's about the struggles and the temptations and the things that they go through that they have to overcome to get to this point but when they get to that point they're still not perfect right that's why we have series or trilogies or whatever the same thing is true when you're writing a nonfiction book what have you learned up to this point what have you conquered in my first book face forward move forward it doesn't it's a memoir how to self-help but at no point in that second half of that book where I'm talking about the tools that I use to overcome do I ever say that I'm perfect now You know, as a matter of fact, I'm not perfect and I gave up with being perfect. I'm just going to be content with being perfectly me. And what does that mean? Mm. It means, well, sometimes I have to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Sometimes it has to, it is, you know, well, that tool worked yesterday this way, but it didn't work this way in this scenario. How can I change it to have a better outcome? So when you're writing about chronic idea disorder or anything else, it's about, What ideas have come to you? What processes or tools have you used to overcome that one thing and not even overcome it? But it worked fine in this scenario, but it didn't work fine in this scenario because I discovered this difference. So I had to tweak it this way. So if you're writing a nonfiction book, get over the idea that you have to be perfect and you have to have overcome everything. People don't want perfection. They want somebody who's walked in their shoes and has taken their life a step or two or three or ten further in a successful way than what they have. Did that make sense? That made absolute sense. I'm thinking about, I've been listening to the Thrive Global podcast with Ariana Huffington, and she wrote Sleep Revolution. I noticed that when I was in the throes of chronic idea disorder, I was not sleeping. But you, nobody can tell me that there are never nights that Ariana does not sleep less than eight hours. Busy woman. I mean, there's probably yeah. nights that she gets in from a flight at midnight. Maybe she she probably has a private plane, but, you know, this is just <laughs> an example. But And then she has to get up at six for a meeting. Maybe she doesn't. But that's just an example. I mean, right. Right. you know, she might have written the book on Sleep Revolution, but nobody can. I would love to just have a camera on her a year to see if she really does sleep eight hours every single night you know yeah and 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 I don't sleep eight hours every night you know and but have you written a book about sleep yeah no I haven't so it might be I may have to look at that and we may have to do another podcast on Uh discussing the items in this book so I find that yeah I am a night person so I find sometimes I go to bed and my brain just won't shut down and I've learned I can toss and turn for three hours or I can get up and write me too and that if that means I need a nap in the middle of the afternoon, well, so be it. So it's be not it, yeah. there's no bloodshed. Um, nobody's dying or getting hurt or being neglected because I took an hour nap instead of getting an hour extra sleep. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very much about how each of us individually work. And that's why with my book writing system, it's about getting to know you and who you are and what your goals are and what you want to do so that you feel good about writing your book your way. So my mom offered once, she's like, Why don't I just write or ghostwrite your book so then you can stop talking about it. 
<laughs> but well, I feel so closely connected to this that I could never let, personally, I could just never let somebody else go straight. But I am not saying that it's not perfect for somebody else. But you've got me on fire now. Like I'm, I was planning on listening to podcasts the whole drive back and forth. Well, I mean, my, my Mac is screaming at me to get <laughs> some of these podcasts off. But now, yeah, I'm going to be working on this book. So I want to like lead people to where they can contact you. But for people who may not be quite ready, I would love to know what is the first immediate step that you would like them to take? Is it the outline or is there something deeper? Well, I think that you may not be ready to write your book right now, but there are things that we can do now that will set you up so that it's work smarter, not harder, because so many people will do newsletters and podcasts and blogs and Facebook lives and this and that and the other thing. And again, there's no structure. If you think you have a book in you, then let's work together now to create a structure so that everything you're doing is going to help lead you towards developing content for your book. Again, I don't want you to work harder. I want you to work smarter. And so that's one piece of advice I would say is let's work together and talk about what is your goal? What is your book idea? What is your concept? How do we focus that and rein it in? And how do we create business content for you now that will then turn into helping you write your book later. They can, can I go interrupt to my you web- for a second, sure. Arlene? Sure. That is so fascinating that you just said that. I'm not going to name names here, but there is somebody who I have joined their community in the past. I have bought their books and I have listened to their podcast. And coincidentally, when I bought one of the books, I think I actually got the audiobook version from Audible. This is not a promotion for them. But as I was listening to the book, I was like, wait a second. I just heard this exact segment with all the bloopers, Uh not that there were bloopers, on the podcast. Whoa, I think they took the audible and broke it up into podcasts or the other way around. Well, and I think that that you have to be careful about that because there's more to it than that. Because first of all, if you're doing interviews with people and there's no linking thread, there's no connection, there's no theme, then you're putting together a disjointed book. And that to me, writing a book is about building your credibility. And I've gotten books where it's very clear that they just took two or three years of blog posts and put it together in the book. And there's no structure, there's no organization, and the title didn't match the content. Mm. The title was a great title, but the content was a mismatch. When you write a book, you are making a handshake contract with that reader that you are providing this material based on the title, based on the genre listing, the subtitle, all of the those things. And when your content internally to the book doesn't match, now your credibility suffers. And that is a huge problem for people when you're trying to use a book to build a business. So when I say you're quote unquote, I hear the term recycling material, it's got to be with a purpose in the proper way so that it's powerful. And your blog posts or newsletters or Facebook lives are not going to include research case studies, and all these other things that go into a book that build your credibility, that build you as an, a go-to expert in that theme. So please hear me. It's not just about recycling or regurgitating from one media to another. It's not. It can damage your credibility so quickly. And I'm about 
creating powerful, profitable tools because they enhance your credibility and make you the go-to expert in your field, whether it's a personal story or a professional story. Please be careful about how you recycle your material. Thank you for sharing that because I would never want somebody who had purchased the audiobook version of the book to then subscribe to the podcast and realize, oh my gosh, I didn't need to spend money or a credit on the book. I could have just tuned into the podcast and gotten it all for free. Right, exactly. And they developed a following and they developed credibility based on the podcast. And when you buy the book, didn't you think you're getting more and oh, you got yeah. the same old, same old? I got the same exact content. And, and I did. I actually turned on the podcast and I played it because, you know, I didn't have anything better to do, like write my own book. <laughs> and it was the same. It was exactly the same, like all right. the spacing. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I can skip this book. Maybe, you know. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that creates credibility when you write your book, by having a tangible book in hand, you've got credibility. But a step further and deeper and bigger than that is to get third-party credibility from reviews on your book. And if you have readers who bought your book who then come back and review it and say, hey, I'm a little disappointed. There was nothing here that I hadn't already heard on my podcast. Wow, that's powerful and that's damaging and that's not good. I mean, how else can I say it? Don't, you know, remember that third-party credibility is is a huge positive tool. And if you go and you, you have people doing negative reviews because they feel cheated, that's not good. That damages credibility. Oh, yeah. I, um, once in a while, okay, I will not deny actually how often I do it, but I will look at my podcast reviews. And I was recently looking at some other podcast reviews and I was struck by the fact that some of the reviews for this other podcast, not for mine, were saying, you know, this is a 20 minute episode and the first nine minutes were a promotion for the person's product. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. You know, are you reading this review? Because it was happening consistently over months and months that the reviews were coming in. Like, oh, well, yeah. Well, and I have the same complaint about online courses and things. Mm -hmm. They tell you it'll be a 30-minute course and 15 minutes is just selling their services. But that's not what I paid for. <laughs> Absolutely. Or it's not, even when we sign up for free, it's still our time. Yes, exactly. There are so many other things that we could do. Well, exactly. Arlene, where can people, sorry, that was a horrible segue. That is not how my book will be written. <laughs> <laughs> Positive productivity, not about perfection, including my segues. And where can people learn more about you and your services? Well, I have a website, bookwritingbusiness.com, bookwritingbusiness.com. And you can learn a little bit about my speaking. I am also a public speaker. I travel all over the world speaking on written communication for business and writing books and how to use books. And based, you know, my first, this is the power of having a book. My first book, uh, Face Forward, Move Forward, has been out three and a half years. I am still getting booked to speak off of topics from that book, which are self-help, personal growth, motivation. And so when you have a book out there that's really powerful and is written in a way that connects people, I mean, I mean it, it will have a life potentially beyond my own, beyond your own. So that's just part of why people should write their story and use it in a way that can change the world. So anyway, so back to my website, bookwritingbusiness.com. I've got speaking topics. I've got coaching topics. I do workshops. I have scheduled workshops that I do. But also, if you belong to a business networking group, 
of any kind and you want to bring me in to do a two-day workshop to help people create that marketing foundation plan and to outline their book, I love to do that. And it's very powerful because what happens when I leave, you've got an accountability group already built in within this networking group. It only takes five people to get me out there to help you do this workshop to start writing your book. And I'm available for consultation throughout the process. So whether you want to do one-on-one or small group that I already have existing, or you want to talk to me and connect about putting together your own workshop to create your network to write a book, all of that's findable on my website, bookwritingbusiness.com. I'd love you to join me on Facebook. Again, Book Writing Business. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And Twitter and LinkedIn are Arlene Gale, and it's A-R-L-E-N-E, and Gale is G-A-L-E, G-A-L-E. I also have a YouTube channel with lots of little one, one and a half minute book writing tips. I'd love for you to subscribe there. That would be helpful. And I'm getting ready to release a new series of book writing tips that'll go on my YouTube channel. And I'm working on an online course that hopefully will be out by the end of the year. So whatever you need, if you have a book inside of you, this is my passion. I love to write. I've been doing it for a long time. And I would love to connect my passion with your passion to help you write a book to build your business. That is so awesome. Thank you for all that valuable insight. And listeners, I want you to know that you can find all Arlene's links, including social media links and our website and eventually the online course, if we can get that at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP512. Arlene, thank you so much for joining us today. You've kicked my butt and I can't wait to see where where I go with it. And I, I definitely want to chat more off the recording but do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners before we go yeah you know i i'm of the age where you know mortality is staring me at the face in the face (laughs) you know and you know to tell you I mean, I called somebody a kid the other day. They're like 35. I told them, yeah, anybody under 35 is a kid to me. But I say that because, you know, the truth of the matter is, is none of us is promised another minute, another day. And if you have wisdom inside you and you have wanted to write a book, you know, nobody laid on their deathbed wishing they spent more time on Facebook. I'm just saying, you know, to paraphrase that saying. You know, don't wait. I've lost several friends this year who had tremendous stories to tell and have spent five or 10 years telling it in small groups of people instead of writing it down. And that wisdom is lost. And I just, it breaks my heart that their stories were never told, never written. And so I just want to leave you with that. Don't wait till tomorrow. Even if you can only spend 30 minutes two or three times a week, you can do that. You're taking steps forward, and it's not about, you know, getting it done. It's about taking that next best step forward. So please connect with me or connect with somebody to write your story. If it's burning inside you and you have that little voice that keeps saying, do it, do it, do it, don't wait. Get started because, again, none of us are promised tomorrow. So let's make every day today count in sharing the wisdom that you have with the people in your life and then writing that book so that you can share it to make this world a better place. Because if your story is going to relate positive hope and peace and possibilities and potential and encouragement, let's get it done. This world needs that. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. 